When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bolin. Ben, we've got a really cool topic today to discuss. It comes from uh, that book that we've uh, we've gathered so many stories from in the past. Um, you know, it's that history, automotive history, mysteries, and myths, myths mythology, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, the Christmas gift book, you know, that's the one. We don't have the, the title of it right in front of us, but um, I'm sure, you know, frequent listeners will remember some of the stories that we told from there, the uh, urban legends, things like that, right? And this is a legendary topic itself, this, right? This is. This is uh, this one's got a little bit of history to it. So, um, it, interesting one here. Um, it, it's titled, Thanks for the Great Getaway Cars, Henry. And uh, here's the legend. I'll just read it straight from the book. Uh, notorious bank robbers Clyde Barrow and John Dillinger wrote letters to Henry Ford thanking him for producing such fast, reliable automobiles uh, that were often used to attempt to outrun police chasing them after various bank robberies in the early 1930s. So the legend is that these bank robbers write letters to Henry Ford and say, you know what, I really enjoy your product. Keep making them as fast as you can because, uh, you know, they help me evade the police. Yes, and we have an example of this. If we could do a... If we do a quick one here, yeah, right? sure. Okay. Uh, so let's see, Scott. You and I are pretty into this topic, so you probably know this. Our listeners might be interested to guess who may or may not have written the following letter. <clears throat> While I still have got breath in my lungs, I will tell you what a dandy car you make. I have drove Fords exclusively when I could get away with one. For sustained speed and freedom for trouble, the Ford has got every other car skinned, and even if my business hasn't been strictly legal, it don't hurt anything to tell you what a fine car you've got in the V8. Yours truly. Who wrote that one? Well, I know who wrote that one. You want me to just... Yeah, yeah. All right, that was uh, that was Clyde Barrow, right? Mm-hmm. Clyde Champion. Champion. He calls himself Clyde Champion Barrow in this one, which is another interesting little twist to this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, now... The, the strange thing about that letter is, uh, well, 
Okay, there's a lot of strange things about that letter. Mm-hmm. First of all, a bank robber writing the head of industry saying, you know, produce, keep producing such great cars because we, we really like them a lot. Yeah, and that's a... I like stealing them. Clyde champion barrow of bonnie and clyde yeah exactly and uh you know it's funny that he uses the word champion in, for his middle name that's now, so his, weird started with c his his real name was clyde chestnut mm-hmm. barrow and mm-hmm. he went by champion i guess occasionally now the, the one little interesting little fact is that he used champion one time i guess when he was being booked into a texas jail and uh, so he just kind of cheekily put that in, you know, as like a little kind of a, a personal joke on his part, right? Yeah. In this letter. Now, the the letter is stamped as received by Henry Ford's secretary um, April 13th, 1934, and it was sent from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah, and it was postmarked, I think, or dated April 10th when it was sent. Okay, so that's three days to travel from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma to Detroit, Michigan, or Dearborn, Michigan. Um, the letter was kept at uh, the Henry Ford Museum in Dearborn, Michigan, and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't kept secret, really. The public knew about this letter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so Ford you know, said, hey, we've got this letter, and this is kind of strange, but you kind of have to understand Ford never really said anything about the authenticity of this letter. Right. Um, it, it's always been believed to be real, and, and it in fact, it is real, as we'll find out. Uh, but there were a couple of biographers that, you know, were kind of divided on the issue. They weren't quite sure about it. And one of the things that uh, they pointed to was that it's most likely because they've done handwriting analysis, and there there aren't a whole lot of samples from from them. Right. Uh, but Bonnie, I guess there were there were handwriting samples available. Yeah, and that's uh, Bonnie Parker. Um, oh, and just a quick fact, so mm-hmm. people know, uh, Bonnie and Clyde, their bank robbery spree. Uh, went from 1932 uh, till 1934. So this was written uh, in the last year of their spree, which is also the year in which they died. Yeah, very, very close to the end. And uh, now, the, now through the handwriting samples, they've they've determined that the letter was likely penned by Bonnie, uh, mm-hmm. probably you know dictated by Clyde, if you if you had to guess, uh, because it sounded a lot like him. And adding the word champion instead of chestnut for his middle name, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. So it, you know, it's likely that it's not ha- Clyde's handwriting, but rather Bonnie's handwriting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mentioned just a second ago that you know you kind of have to understand what was going on at the time. Now you said there's crime spree lasted from when 1932 Two to 34 to 34. Okay, and this is April 13th, 1934. That was received. April 10th, it was written. Um, they were now the two of these these cats these these characters. They were like um, a couple that was easy easy to romanticize. I guess what they were doing. Yep. Uh, there was a real anti-government sentiment going on right mm-hmm. now. This is a this is a um, depression era uh, group that you know Bonnie and Clyde who were you know driving across country you know making do as as they as they uh, made their way across the country by robbing gas stations mm-hmm. by robbing uh, small grocery stores and banks and banks and uh the, they're very very overly romanticized in my opinion because yeah. the truth of the matter is these guys these were pretty hardened criminals really i mean yeah. honestly i mean when you look at their crimes uh, they were, the crimes were robbery, of course, mm-hmm. uh, kidnapping Ben, and uh, and murder. So you know these are these are not people that you know are just out to uh, to do good. And, and a lot of people give them this uh, kind of Robin Hood exactly. moniker, saying that they stole from the the rich and gave to the poor. But that's not the case. Yeah, I think in the context of the time, we have to understand that the average American between 1932-1934 is probably anti-government, is probably feeling that the big banks and the large businesses are, you know, 
screwing over the common man mm-hmm. if we're if we're being frank about it so this sort of adds to their legend but make no mistake ladies and gentlemen bonnie and clyde were not you know holding up evil fat cats and then giving the money to charity no 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 these are like mom and pop grocery stores you know in the middle of nowhere right and uh you know a lot of times things would go wrong i guess uh clyde was kind of a bumbling kind of guy mm-hmm. and uh things didn't quite go well now they were young too i mean bonnie elizabeth parker was uh she's only 23 when she died in, yep. th- in 34 and uh clyde chestnut barrow uh was age 25 when he died. And uh, again, that's in 1934. Now, they died uh, famously in uh, an ambush. You know, mm-hmm. they they used all this public, uh, uh, I guess, the um, the momentum, I guess, of what mm-hmm. they were doing um, to kind of become like folk heroes almost, really. Sure, At a yeah. certain point. And uh, they, so they used this to their advantage. And uh, finally, it all came crashing down on them. Uh, it was May 23rd, 1934. So that's just six weeks after yep. after the letter was initially penned. Uh, and that's when they were ambushed and shot by Texas officers and a couple of Louisiana police officers. Because mm-hmm. um, they were uh, interstate criminals. But we should also we should also point out that if we if we're going back to the letter, that Henry H.F. himself assumed this was real. Right. He, oh, yeah. Yeah. He, he, had- he thought it was real. And he had his secretary reply. Uh, really? Yeah, his secretary. I didn't know there was a reply to this letter. Well, just like a thank you note. No kidding. But it was from his secretary. It's not like it's not yeah. as if he wrote "Hello, champ" or anything. Uh, yeah, I wonder how you send that. Who uh, in it? care of general delivery to Tulsa? But of course, they never got it because yeah. they're driving around on the spree, so they weren't in Tulsa at the time. Okay, so they don't. Uh, they're not going to stay in one place for too long. Now, you know, can I can I just make one little yeah, note yeah. before we move on to the letter again? Because, um, you know. Covered him just a little bit here, but right. one kind of interesting fact that I, I read while I was going through this was that, you know, the car wreckage and, you know, you've seen the uh, the death scene photos, I'm sure, the, the Bonnie and Clyde car. Grizzly. Very grizzly, yeah. And, uh, I mean, just a hail of bullets, and this mm-hmm. thing is just riddled. It's like Swiss cheese, of course. It really is. Um, now, the, the wreckage, along with the bodies, were towed into a town called Arcadia in Louisiana, and they were towed to this place that was a, f- a furniture store funeral parlor. So it's huh. like this this odd combination, and that's where they were embalmed, actually, is in this furniture store funeral parlor that's in Arcadia. Now, that's a small town for you in 1930s, because I, yeah. what a weird combination of businesses. And I think there were a lot of these back then that, you know, they, they had these shared, um, you know, storefronts, I guess. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it's carpentry. I guess. I mean, it's really strange. What a weird mix. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You're a growing business. 
which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It can also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time and range in lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. I don't know if I would want to buy a sleeper set or something knowing somebody was being embalmed in I, the next room. I know. I know. It's a, it's a strange combination. But anyways, I, I figured that was just a little side note that I'd mention here. So the letter... Now we talked about how it was uh it was signed by Clyde Champion Barrel, right? Uh-huh. And uh you know this whole thing with the Texas jail and you know there's a lot of grammatical errors in there and misspellings. Mm-hmm. And uh, as far as the the, you know, the experts go, they say that that probably matches his level of education or what they call lack of education in his case because I don't think he went very far in school if 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 at all really. Right, like strictly is is misspelled. Yeah. Um, they say ever instead of every. There, there are indications that that you can find some some fairly thorough analysis on with the letter. Yeah. Now, but then again, this is kind of strange because if it's Bonnie's handwriting, right? He was probably dictating to her, but she made the same grammatical errors as him. She didn't correct anything. She just wrote it as he re- as he read it, possibly. Which is interesting because she she wrote a lot of poetry and things like that. So yeah. she probably had a firmer grasp on. The English, the English language and she, spelling and all that. Right? She could probably spell strictly unless she was purposefully trying to be cute or unless the letter was fake. Ah, see, now that now they could have been trying to throw them off just a bit yeah. by who wrote this thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that happens. It happens often. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, trying to disguise who wrote this. Now, th- this, I don't know why you would disguise it, though, because you're signing it, Clyde Champion Barrel. Yeah, if anything, it might be that... Uh, the, if this is real, which it seems that it is, there's a fairly there's a fairly good case that it's real. Sure. But if if this is real, then it sounds as though it's something that they might have sent on a whim. Maybe some endorphin highs from their crime spree, and they're driving. They got away from somewhere, and Clyde's looking at Bonnie and saying, "Baby, this is a fantastic car." You know what? It could have <laughs> been because you've seen the photos of them, right? The uh, the, the promotion, not promotional, but I guess the press photos that yeah. were sent around. That you know, all the posing and everything with mm-hmm. her holding him at shotgun, and you know, kind of uh, I guess cutesy type photos that were sent out. And and this is part of what gained popularity for them. Definitely. And I think people really, uh, for some reason, they just really latched onto this as a, as a great story, and they were kind of following them all over the place. And it, they became um, 
like I said, folk heroes, like celebrities almost. Celebrities, really. honestly. Which is not so good for someone who's trying to uh, to rob places and make their way across the country doing so. Yeah, if you because, you know, if you're a criminal, I'm not accusing anyone of our in our audience of being involved with criminal activities. Mm-hmm. But you understand there's a certain advantage to being able to go incognito. Sure. Yeah, of course. Okay, so I I mean all in all, this I mean, this is really pointing to the fact that this this letter to Ford was authentic. Yeah. And, uh, and that's the verdict that we'll find in our book, you know, that, uh, that, you know, it's determined to be that this, this, after a lot of, you know, back and forth and mm-hmm. investigating, that this, uh, this letter to Ford from Clyde Barrow is authentic. It's, it's a true letter. The timeline works out. The, um, the handwriting, ha- while it's interesting and while there is a case to argue that Bonnie Parker wrote it, uh, that, is completely plausible. It is in without within the realm of possibility. Okay. Now, we're going to move on to uh, the letter that we promised from uh, from another gangster. Um, John Dillinger also wrote a letter to Henry Ford. Now, this one, this one, there's a twist. There's mm-hmm. a there's a, a big twist in this story. So, pay attention for this one. Okay. And it gets a little bit muddy here in the middle, but we'll try to figure it out. Uh, should Should we read the letter? Yeah, you know what? I think that may be a good case, good thing to do right now. But this, you got to keep in mind that this arrived just one week after uh, the Bonnie and Clyde letter was received from from Bonnie and Clyde um, to to Ford. So, like one week later, he mm-hmm. says, "Hey, guess what? I have another letter." Henry Ford announces to the public, "I've got another letter from another gangster," uh-huh. and uh, and this one is John Dillinger. Ah, uh, yes. <clears throat> Hello, old pal. Arrived here at 10 a.m. today. Would like to drop in and see you. You have a wonderful car. Been driving it for three weeks. It's a treat to drive one. Your slogan should be, drive a Ford and watch the other cars fall behind you. I can make any other car take a Ford's dust. Bye-bye. John Dillinger. Okay. All right. So that's kind of funny, right? I yeah, mean, it, that's it's it, cheeky. He's got a sense of humor. It does sound... Okay. The one thing that people will note right away is this sounds like an ad. It sounds like a brochure for Ford Motor Company, right? It sure does, especially the part where they propose a slogan. Very complimentary to Ford and, mm-hmm. and his product. And, you know, it seems... A little bit suspicious, right? Now, I mean, the I'm timing, so glad you said that. The timing is just a little weird, you know, like one week later after all mm-hmm. this is going on. Now, this is prior to Bonnie and Clyde's death still, because right. they, it was, you know, five weeks later that that happened. But, um, now the, the, this letter from Dillinger, um, when is it postmarked? I think it's postmarked, um, it's dated May 16th, 1934. So it's just after that. And it's postmarked right. from Detroit. Mm-hmm. And that's important in the story as well, as we'll find out. Um, and, you know, again, it's stamped received. And, you know, there's the uh, the usual stuff that goes along with this, you know, before announcing and get this letter and we're going to post this somewhere and, you know, people yeah. can read it. I don't know how they did it back then. I'm not sure where it was. It was a press release or in a newspaper ad or what. Um, so, again, it's very complimentary, the Ford product and the, co- and the Ford company. Uh, however, it, it it's considered a hoax. And, uh, the, the reason it was, um, is because, you know, it just, well, the reason it was considered a hoax is because, mm-hmm. again, the, the flowery language yeah. and, uh, it's super complimentary. Uh, there, there are a lot well, of problems with it. Okay. Well, okay. For once, for one, uh, it's in, it comes from Detroit around that time. Yes. One little catch there, Scott, it's, probably true that Dillinger was nowhere near Detroit at the time. No, no. Uh, in fact, he was likely with his buddies in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, that's possibly true. Um, now, I was thinking it could have been, I was thinking Minnesota. 
is like the, the more likely where he would where be. he would be. Now I'll tell you why in just a moment. But mm-hmm. there's a, there's something that clearly leads to this, right? Yeah. And um, now, okay, he's not in Detroit at the time, and that's that can be documented. I think a lot of people thought that he was involved in this bank robbery in Flint, is what they say. Yeah, the Citizens Commercial Savings Bank in uh, Flint, Michigan, on eighteen on the eighteenth of May, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, not likely true. Now, now you know what? You're right, Ben. I'm sorry. At this time. Chicago, Illinois, was the uh, the thought location of him mm-hmm. at that at that particular time. Uh, the twist is where the other oh, the other location there comes we up. go. Now, yeah. I didn't give anything away there, so don't worry. No but, spoilers. Um, no, but again, now this is a gangster. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he you read his letter, and again, it's like it's almost like he works for Ford, right? So that's another thing that is kind of uh, kind of. I don't know, out of place in this. It, in this it's situation. a lot more like a prank, or maybe a pre-internet version of trolling. Yeah. You know what? What a lot of people would think, and rightly so, and, is that what? Oh no, no, I, I didn't mean to cut you oh, off. Oh yeah, it, what a lot of people think, and rightly so, is that maybe this is from somebody who has a vested interest in Ford. Now, I'm not saying that Henry Ford knew that it was a hoax immediately. I'm not saying he perpetrated it, mm-hmm. but Scott did somebody. Did someone <laughs> no, who had something to gain? <laughs> there's, there's more to this, Ben. There's more. There, there are more problems with this, this letter that you know is is now considered to be a hoax. Yeah. Um, the other problem is that you know he mentions in the letter that he he drove the same car for three weeks. Not likely. The uh, you know a gangster of that era mm-hmm. would stand out like a sore thumb in something. You know they would be on the lookout for this. They would know who who he was. You know they'd have mug mug shots circulating of him. It's very, very unlikely that he would drive the same car, any car, for three weeks at a time. You'd have to switch cars to avoid capture. Very often they would switch cars. I mean, I mean, quickly. And they, you know, stolen cars. They would, they would just exchange cars in a parking lot and that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're mm-hmm. gone. Um, the other thing is, now this is, this is where it gets just a little bit, uh, a little bit strange. Now, the FBI, uh, cause, you know, once, once something like this is announced, you know, once Henry says, you know, I've got this letter from John Dillinger, well, the FBI perks their ears up and says, we'd like to see that letter. Yeah, let's check it for prints, right? Yep. And you remember the director of the FBI at the time was J. Edgar Hoover, mm-hmm. and uh, he sent a note back to Ford saying that the prints were compared with file information on the, Dill- on the Dillinger file and his associates, and said that, uh, now this is confusing, no identifications were affected, which means it's not conclusive, Um the uh, the fingerprints that they that they did, you know found were likely to be from Ford employees. Right, and this doesn't necessarily mean that they sent it. It could just be the prints that they left when they were handling the letter. Yeah, upon yeah. receipt. And the other thing about this uh, this this fake letter, this this hoax letter, is that the FBI report date, um, you know, the the actual report itself. Yeah, is two days prior to the received stamp from Henry Ford's secretary. Yeah, on the letter. And that's it's funny because this was revealed um, in 1987 when a historian named Bill Burke uh, investigated this for a, a little publication called the American Archivist, mm-hmm. uh, and he had he had a great classic line here: uh, "The FBI reports two days earlier than the letters received." Now that's efficiency, or something. Now, isn't that crazy? Now, no one spotted that for something like. Well, what is that, 80 years? Uh, 75 years, something like that? Yeah, it's amazing how long something can just sit in an archive somewhere. You know, God knows what, what else, what, what other pieces of automotive history were missing, but, uh, but yeah, so it wasn't until 1987 that someone said, hey, 
Hey, Jay Edgar. How did you get that letter through yeah. time travel? Yeah, that's really weird. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? That it's no one weird. noticed the date thing. I mean, it seems like such a simple thing right now. Like when we think back, like why didn't anybody check the date and find out that you know the FBI files two days prior? This this can't possibly have, have happened. How in the heck did that happen? So here's where the twist comes in, and it comes to us uh, via uh, Jalopnik. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they've done some uh, some great investigative work. Now, the guy's name is uh, Matt Hardigree mm-hmm. uh, from 2010. So this is a couple years ago, three years ago maybe. And uh, he did some digging uh, using the Freedom of Information Act, I guess, with um, you know digging up files on Henry Ford. He looked at the FBI file. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It can also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time in range and lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. I digress. Is it time for our big reveal? I think it is. Now, this is the this is the crazy twist in this whole story. Now, and I'll tell you why all this happens later, but there there was a... Now, now we talked about this hoax letter from Dillinger, right? Right. Now, yeah. The earlier letter is uh, the earlier letter from thirty-four. I think May sixteenth, thirty-four. Yeah. Pretty much a hoax. Yeah, it's a hoax. And you know what? For a while, people thought, you know, this is kind of strange. It's it's amazing, mm-hmm. but you know, Ford had revealed this letter, and this is the public version of the letter, right? Mm-hmm. There was a real letter from Dillinger that was sent to Henry Ford. 
Ah, and it was kind of a secret. It was a big secret. No, this one was kind of a secret. This is one <laughs> that, like, and this is a letter, like, that Henry Ford held in his possession until his possessions were turned over to the, to the archives. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't treated all that well. I'll tell you that in just a minute. But, I mean, it was, uh, it, it, it's a, it's like a secret letter, Ben, that was hidden mm. from the public for, I think it's 76 years at this point. Yeah, and uh, the Jalopnik investigator only found it through the Freedom of Information Act. Exactly. Now, this one, this one predates the public letter by about a week, I think it is. I'll have to, I'll, as we go through here. Uh, it's uh, May 6th. May 6th, 1960, 1934, rather. Uh, so it predates the public letter, um, and it has a, a much more solid historical backing according to them you know this one this one is really authentic and, and we'll find out why now they discovered this letter in henry ford's fbi file as we mentioned uh which i'd love to get a peek at by the oh, way oh can you imagine oh i bet there's some amazing stuff now there's a there's a typed copy of this that you can read in that file and the reason there's a typed copy is because the original copy the handwritten copy is uh is destroyed yeah and it's, it's, uh, it's decayed it's unreadable it's decayed and you know the the uh the envelope as a matter of fact the envelope is there as well and the only way that you can read the envelope is after they do something called infrared scanning of the envelope um it's in such deteriorated condition you know it's falling apart um that's the only way they can even determine you know what what the writing is in the front of this thing so it's an extremely fragile historical document mm-hmm. um now the, this typed copy of this letter that they've got uh, again, from May 6, 1934. Ben, do you want to read it? Yeah, yeah. Let's go ahead and read it. Okay. Um, different tone here. Dear Mr. Ford, I want to thank you for building the Ford V8 as fast and as sturdy a car as you did. Otherwise, I would not have gotten away from the coppers in that Wisconsin, Minnesota, was that case? Case. Uh, yours till I have the pleasure of seeing you. John Dillinger. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, what's interesting about this is that um, well, there's a lot interesting about mm-hmm. it, but uh, the archive staff, the, you know, the uh, the Ford archive people, yeah, they didn't even know that they had this letter at first until Jalopnik copied, uh, you know, contacted them uh-huh. because they've got the original. Um, and now he was reviewing the the FBI file, which had a copy of this, a typed copy of it. Um, now he kind of, you know, was persistent about this that you know you do have this letter, take a look mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. They went and looked for it, and uh, the Henry Ford uh, Museum people, the archive people. Uh, they confirm that they do have this letter on hand now, so they have uh, they have the original original letter. As unreadable and fragile as it is, the artifact remains. And uh, also, what's interesting here is that this letter does something that archivists and historians love. It mentions a specific time mm-hmm. and a specific place. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and the specific place and time really helps them out. Now, there's a, there's a lot of reasons why. And we'll get into this, but why would Henry Ford distribute a fake letter when he had a real letter on ah, hand? Now, now, one thing I want to point out, though, is that this letter, um, this is where I mentioned Minnesota before. Yeah. Uh, why would he be in Minnesota at this time? Because uh, we thought originally that he would be in Chicago, and that was at the time of the letter that was the fake, right? And mm-hmm. that's probably right, that he probably was. Now, at the time of the fake one, which is 10 days prior, he was, yeah. he was in Minnesota, and they know that because... Um, his girlfriend, I guess, who was, uh, he was, st- she was standing trial in St. Paul. Oh, yeah, yeah. We should, we should, um, can I do a little background? Oh, sure. To build yeah. Up to this? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think it's important for us to note. Um, things were touch and go in April for our buddy, uh, Mr. Dillinger. Mm-hmm. Uh, in April 22nd, some people from the Department of Investigation, uh, were trying to trap him and his gang in, uh, Little Bohemia, Wisconsin. They got in a gunfight. 
uh, people were killed, one mm-hmm. agent, uh, one bystander, uh, and then Dillinger escaped in a Ford Model A. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, from there he goes. The next day he's on his way to meet his girlfriend. Right? Yeah, so he's uh, his girlfriend is standing trial in St. Paul because she was accused of harboring him um, in, in uh, Minneapolis apartment. So uh, they've got he's got this real strong incentive, as they say, to, to be uh, somewhere near there at that time, yeah. right? And um, I guess um, now th- this letter that's postmarked May sixth. Um, I think it's postmarked from. Is it? It's postmarked from somewhere in Minnesota. Is that right? Yeah, it's from uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, so I that think. makes makes perfect sense, right? That's where their apartment mm-hmm. is. Um, now, the other thing is now this, this letter. It, it arrived, this is another just weird timing thing. But the day after uh, his girlfriend pleaded not guilty to the har- the harboring charges, um, that's when it arrived. The, the the true letter that we never really saw that the public never yeah, really yeah. saw. Um, and. The crazy thing about this is now they've done handwriting samples, um, you know, to compare the way that Dillinger wrote in, the, in this letter that we haven't seen to the letter that, you know, are known handwriting samples of his. And mm-hmm. the only other known handwriting samples were given under duress. Right. So that, he's uh, that, that would be some of his time in the lockup or something. Yeah. And, of course, he's a, a known gangster. He's of course, he's going to somehow alter his handwriting style in order to make it seem like, you know, the. Any other correspondence or any other letters that were written by him are possibly not him. He's going to try to mess with them a little bit in this case. Absolutely. So, so you know, they of course they're not going to match exactly, but they're going to be pretty close. Um, and they also note that the paper used for this letter, uh, yeah, uh, this is interesting. Was was is likely from a notepad that was uh, commonly used at banks. Which Isn't that I? I admit though. That's cool. That's kind of action movie cool. Well, it kind of is. Now, of course, where is a bank robber going to get a uh, a notepad that's commonly used at banks, right? I mean, how <laughs> right. hard is that for him to procure, as they yeah. say, right? So what's the big question? Well, the big question is, I mean, and, and this is the whole crux of the hoax, really, is that why would Ford fake a letter from Dillinger when he had a real letter that he could have easily, you know, paraded out in front of the public and said... Here's why, you know, here, here's a letter from Dillinger. Mm-hmm. Look how fantastic this is. We've got two uh, two known criminals, you know, that everybody loves, and they're saying what a great product Ford makes and how great the company is. Yet he fakes a letter, puts, you know, sends that one out to the public, and and people say like, well, why why would he do that? But yet the fake letter is the one that's still, um, you know, displayed in the Ford archives as being the authentic Dillinger letter, according to them, um, and was later revealed as a hoax. So. There's this weird thing, like why, why, why would Ford go to the effort of making a hoax or making a yeah a hoax letter when mm-hmm. he had a real one? Well, there are a couple of let's call them compelling interests. Mm-hmm. How about that? Is sure. that fair? Yeah, that's probably the best way to say it. So we can see this when we compare the letters, right, Scott? We see that they're uh, they're a very different style. They also mention some different things. Uh, the original letter, you'll notice the real one. Mm-hmm. Uh, mentions that uh, the Henry Ford cars helped him escape the police. Ah, uh, yes. Now that's uh, that's probably the biggest one in my my opinion. Is yeah. that uh, you know they they want to tell the story of how, of how you know like Dillinger loves this car. They think that it's, he thinks it's a great car, but uh, you know he's also saying like you're helping me uh, break laws. Yeah, in a big way. And let's not forget that the police at this time. Uh, major Ford clients. Yeah, that's the problem. See, now that's the that's the thing is that you know Ford is trying to be uh, the ad agency guy here and saying mm-hmm. you know, we can't release the, this to the public because it's you know it's 
telling them that they can get away with something. You know, my product is helping them get away with something from the police, and the police are a great big client of mine. Right. Uh, you know, a lot of police are in in uh, you know Ford Cruisers at this point. Yeah. So your Fords are so good that they're helping me escape your Fords. Yeah. Exactly. So you know the. the I mean, there's, it's kind of an embarrassing letter for the police in that, in that sure. sense, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and Ford is really saying, uh, you know, I, let's get this out here, but let's take out that little embarrassing bit about the coppers. And the coppers are what, you know, um, a lot of people at Ford, um, Ford Motor Company, Often refer to as that Dillinger letter. They'll, they'll, they'll use that word, that, that verbiage will come up, <laughs> that, you know, the coppers part. And, um, yes, it, even, even now, like, you know, people that had been around back then mm-hmm. will refer to this letter and they'll refer to it that way. And that's the authentic letter. Now, this is kind of strange, right? Because yeah. how do they even know about this thing? I mean, it's just this weird thing, Ben, like this, this yeah. hidden, this hidden letter is so strange to me. Yeah, and it must have been one of the secrets in the hallowed halls of Ford. Uh, there's a guy who has uh, my nomination for this week's dream job, uh, Ford historian Bob Krepke. Do you yeah, run into yeah. this guy? Yeah, and he was—he's the one who um, mentions a lot of the a lot of the stuff about the letter and the decisions to have a different letter. Um, I do want to propose a second point here. Mm-hmm. Um, in the hoax letter, I think they just went too far, man. I think putting in a slogan suggestion yeah. is a little bit too blunt. Yeah, they pushed yeah. it just a little bit beyond where they should have, probably. It just didn't have that ring of authenticity, and I think a lot of people picked up on it, you know, over time. You know, they, they decided, yeah, that's not probably really authentic. Especially not- in the wake of the... Bonnie and Clyde letter. Yeah. I mean, how much more obvious could you be, right? Yeah, yeah. And the the weird thing again. I mean, well, I keep saying the weird thing, but there's so many different weird mm-hmm. things about this. But um, you know, when the second letter is finally revealed, the the first letter it kind of disappears. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like the uh, the original letter. I guess the original letter wasn't wasn't really that well stored. Um, it says that it appears as if the letter had been kept folded horizontally and vertically for a long time, uh, causing rigid creases and folds in the letter. Uh, the tear, there are tears and missing elements along the edges. Uh, the second letter, however, the one that the fake was well preserved, uh, was touted by Ford, you know, as, um, in a press release, oh, there you go, in a press release, um, at the opening of the Ford archives in 1953. And even now, uh, Ford PR people refer to um, you know the the fake Dillinger letter as the uh, as the authentic Dillinger letter, not knowing that they that they had in their possession all along the authentic Dillinger letter, which was dated what a week prior to that. Yeah, it's just they crazy. Had, they had no idea. Um, again, now uh, yeah, I, I mean I I don't know how to get your head around this completely. You almost have to lay out a timeline for yourself, and you have to mm-hmm. read the story through to really understand the dates and and the timestamps and all that because. Right. Some of the, the the timing is really weird between when the letters were sent from Dearborn to the the FBI headquarters and back, and um, you know when when these things appeared and disappeared, and mm-hmm. it's really really kind of a shifty story. Now, just you know, of course, crime doesn't pay, Ben. So Dillinger, not much long afterwards, it was like again six weeks maybe. I guess six weeks, yeah. After the letter was sent, uh, that's when he was gunned down in Chicago. Um, so. You know, he can't tell the true story of what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ford has been, you know, had been promoting this, this fake letter for so long that people began to believe it was real. Even, you know, recently, their PR people, I mean, up until two years ago, Ben, the PR people were thinking that this was the authentic Dillinger letter, not knowing that the one that Dillinger had really written 
existed but uh, was never really shown to the public, which is a strange thing anyways. Um, there's just a lot of really bizarre things happening around this. Ah, but it does lead us inevitably to our verdict in the case of this hoax. Did bank robbers, Scott, really write fan mail to Henry Ford? Yes, they did. They did not just one bank robber or one bank robbing duo, but another one. And the secret has finally come to light. You know what this makes me wonder? I wonder if other criminals have written to other companies. You know, did somebody ever write to GM, like a Mexican drug cartel, well, and say, thank you so much for your latest model? I, it is <laughs> I don't see why not. I don't see why it's not possible. I mean, mm. the time was different back then, of course. You know, this is a pretty bold move on the, on the part yeah. of these gangsters, you know. Really thumbing their nose at the authorities as part of it. All right, Ben. So this is a this is a completely different era from the one we live in now. This is a like an extremely bold move on the part of these gangsters to write letters to you know the heads of industry mm-hmm. and say, "I really appreciate your product." Um, I, I don't know if anybody now would do something similar in that you know there's way too many ways to trace these things. I mean, even fingerprint technology. They were sca- you know checking this for scanning it for fingerprints and things like that, but. Uh, they just really weren't at the level that we are now and being able to identify, you know, whether it's male DNA, female DNA on sure. this thing. Cameras um, on street corners. I, I mean, looking at the back of stamps and trying to get DNA from that and, you know, is there any kind of trace evidence on these things or where they came from or, you know, even even video footage of someone mailing, the, you know, actually putting this letter in the mailbox, you know, if they know mm-hmm. where it was sent from. Yeah. Um, I just don't think that anybody could get away with something like this now. And uh, we don't think that you should rob banks. Even you guys, even if you think that you have a really good plan, just just trust us on this one. It's a bad idea. Great advice, Ben. I, I think I, you advice. know what? Maybe I'm being too forward can in I, saying that. Can I can I make one? one? I just need to say this. I think before we wrap up here yeah. is that you know the the uh, the Jalopnik team, um, in, in particular, the one who wrote this article, Matt mm-hmm. Hardigree did a fantastic job of laying this out in his article. And if you want to look that up and, and really read through this, because I think some of our, you know, it, it gets a little bit muddy in the way that we describe it, mm-hmm. um, because we can't go through this and read this article piece by piece. But uh, it's called The Real History of John Dellinger and Henry Ford. And uh, he does a, a great job of laying it out, a, a concise timeline that you'll really easily understand. Mm-hmm. And I hope, I, I mean, I hope we got just maybe your appetite whetted a little bit for something like this, you know, to, to look up the, uh, the Clyde Barrow letter, look up the, uh, the John Dillinger letters, and then, you know, kind of maybe do a little analysis yourself and, you know, look at the handwriting of the, the Bonnie and Clyde letter and see if it does match Bonnie's handwriting. You know, I kind of enjoy doing stuff like that. Uh, yes. And let us know what you think. That is an excellent piece of journalism. Scott, before we go in lieu of uh listener mail, I'd like to read a tweet. <laughs> Okay, this is just funny, and I promised the person who posted it, I promised them that we would read this on air. Okay. Okay, so Twitter, uh, ZZ Coop writes to us uh, regarding our hybrid episode, and he says, oh, regarding boy. hybrids, I think Scott may have chlorophobia, an abnormal aversion to green. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad. I thought, I mean, I, I'm sure he's joking. That's uh, a, yeah. That's a that's a good buddy of ours, a fan of a lot of the shows here. Uh, ZZ Coop, thanks for writing. And uh, we're men of our word. We did read it on air. That's Very it. good, Ben. So you, you promised and you delivered. Yep. And with that, uh, that uh, that's totally not a hoax tweet, by the way. It does check out. I've got top men at the FBI on it. We're going to go ahead and head out here. If you Wait. Want, what? 
Are you sure you didn't receive a tweet two days prior that uh, that you maybe have covered up? I can neither confirm nor deny your wild accusations. I can confirm that if people are interested in our Twitter, they can check us out with Car Stuff HSW. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. And hey, uh, let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your ideas uh, and suggestions for upcoming topics. Our email address is carstuff at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. So should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly. How much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.